We're talking about reaching. We're, when you reach, people get touched. Now, if we don't reach, people don't get touched. And we've been on that. This is our fourth week. The Lord has instructed me to talk through the month of September about this, and I have. Today, I want to talk to you about bringing that good news to people and what that good news. And I want to change the, the stigma, if you will, that goes with the idea of what it means to be saved. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. Now, I think it's a good term, but I don't think everybody understands what we mean when we say that. And I want to add something to you by the Holy Spirit's direction today that I think will help you. But what it means to bring good news to people. Um, stigma is, it, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with um, a group. I, I go at 1 o'clock this afternoon in Gamble Park to open up in prayer for a group where, there, where there, we want the stigma changed about drug addictions and addictions in our community. In other words, that to recognize what people are really battling is something. And of course, you know my stand on it is that people can be free. It's, something, it's just devils that got a hold of their life. I, it's not my place or your place to judge why people got into an addiction. It's our place to go get them free of that addiction and show them how to get free and how to keep themselves free. Well, I don't get to preach that, but I do get to pray that. And so we're to bring the presence of God into that group today. Well, it's the same way with believers. We need the, the, the ideas, the preconceived ideas that people's had about church. Now, how many of you are reaching to people right now? Yeah, yeah. You know, we're in our reach now. The, the reach table's over there this morning. And so fill in your little things. How many reaches you did this week? We want to tally them. You say, well, I'm doing reaches. I'm just not writing them down. Well, we want the momentum of what we're doing. I think Susan's going to give us a tally of where we're at right now of how we're reaching out to people. And you can see on the faces of people in here today, the ones that are reaching because you're more alive than normal because you, you, you got that life of God. That's what it's all about. Christian life is about our reaches to people and trying to be a, a blessing and to help people. But in those reaches, as you reach out and try to just let people know that you love them, and it's more than just that, but how many of you want to bring Jesus to those that are lost? Yeah. And, and not just the lost. You're not reaching just to lost people. Sometimes it's misplaced Christians. Wow. You know, they're already, they're already saved. They're already in the kingdom, but they're getting misplaced sometimes, just a little bit out of pocket. Wow. And we want to help them. Anything that will draw them back. Being defeated in your life is out of pocket with God. Yes. You know, a Christian that's getting destroyed by financial woes, by struggles and and relationships, whatever it may be. That's just, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean the devil's got control of your life. It just means the devil's got a foothold in there and you're, you're out of pocket. You just need to get that thing fixed. Well, that's what the reach is for so we can help people get fixed to those things. And I'm going to tell you what the Lord began to deal with me about is to bring, literally bring a culture of the kingdom into our community. And that's the responsibility that we have. I'm going to talk to you about that and tell you what I mean by that as, as we go. So just find Romans chapter 1. Now, I told you this already. We, we owe the world a debt. We started out this way three services back. We owe the world a debt to give them a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. An encounter means a chance meeting, an opportunity to meet Jesus, not to hear about Him alone. There's nothing wrong with hearing about Him, but it's no good just to hear about Jesus if you can't have a personal relationship with Him. And so we're not dealing with just information. How many of you know our evangelism, our, our mission as a Christian and then as a church group is not just to bring the message of Jesus to people without bringing the manifestation right, of Jesus. Right. To me, a manifestation should be required by a believer of the kingdom of God. It ought to be in a manifested way. We, we talk and preach the kingdom all the time, but it should be manifest in our life. What, what do you mean by that? You remember when Jesus, <laughs> I apologize, I hear myself talking fast. <laughs> Susan, David, I think Susan told you this, but the other day she was turning on one of the podcasts to show somebody. And I was talking just like this. I went just like this. I said, I said Susan, something wrong with your podcast. And I, or David's got to go fix that when I said it's, it was going too fast. And so we're, we're a little old school, you know, and don't know a lot about it. So I, I pulled it up on my laptop. I said, it sounds normal. And then on my phone, it sounds normal. I said, Susan, something wrong with your phone. 
So I, she said, oh, I've got to figure this. I said, no, let's just Google what happens when your podcast on your iPhone is talking too fast. And it told us how to change the speed. Well, so we went to our phone. Let me get my phone here. We went to our phone. I'm going to show you all this. Why am I having so much fun today? I don't know. Listen, I even brought my boiled egg today. I'm planning on keeping you all a long time. <laughs> Susan had me here early. I thought I'd bring breakfast with me. I'm going to show you all this, if I can do this. So Somebody Susan. Somebody bless you with something. Just say, well, thank God I received that. Sometimes they gave me this suit or this dress or whatever I've been in, but it's just not my style. Well, that's God telling you it's seed. Yeah. See, that's how Find she had it for us. God gave you seed well, I thought, for sowing. Wow. I said, God talked that fast. Well, I found out. I found out, and I know this is old school to you, Morgan. But I found out you can change the speed, even the keys and the hungry and the thirsty, even a little faster. God that can satisfy us and will satisfy us, it is, but for you is to be hungry. Turn that up just a little bit. I want to hear it. Have you ever tried to feed a toddler that wasn't hungry? Now, I know it sounds a little bit like I'm drunk. But after Susan went to bed, thank you, Samuel. After Susan went to bed, I listened to one of my whole messages in that slow speed. <laughs> As Barbara's laughing. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I listened to one of my whole messages, Gary, in that slow speed. That's the best message I ever heard. I finally understood my own preaching. I thought, Lord, I wish you'd help me to slow down a little bit like that. Mylon, Mylon, you told me one time, he said, I listened to your, this was back when we just had uh, cassettes and, and CDs and all. And he said, I listen, but he said, man, I can't listen fast enough to understand you. And Susan, he said, because I'm from Georgia. And he said, y'all just talk too fast. Anyway, so I apologize for talking too fast. But see, a manifestation of the kingdom is what we should expect. Now, manifestation means not just words about it, but God to do what we're talking about. See, when Jesus said that if I with the finger of God cast out devils, then the kingdom of God's come among you, come near to you. And then he casts that devil out. Well, see, you can see a manifestation. Jesus spoke the word of God. The devil left. That was a manifestation. I don't want to just tell people that Jesus cast out devils. I want them to see that devil go. See, that's called a manifestation of the kingdom. And so we have to have this idea of bringing a kingdom culture. And this is why it's hard sometimes for you and I to witness to people about the Lord. Now, change the word witness if that scares people off. I don't, because we're just sharing. That's what witnessing is. We're sharing things that's happened to us so that it can begin to happen to them. Because that's really what a testimony is. Testimony is that if God did it for me, he can do it again. And if he did it in me, he'll do it in you. See, right? And that's the way people need to expect. So when we're sharing with people, sometimes it's a little difficult because of their background. Now, let me tell you how this came about in me. So we were headed downtown going to the post office. And no matter which block we went on, there was somebody directing us another block. And we just, I, I said, Susan, this is far enough now. And there was Barney. I mean, there was the policeman, you know, like, no, you can't come this way. You know, we kept going. It took us forever to get there. Well, and, and this, don't, don't take this wrong and go out and say, Brother James, against denominations and churches and all that. And I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm against what sectarianism does to the body of Christ. But you'll understand my question. And so we were driving different routes, you know, and we actually went all over Jasper to get to the other side of Jasper. And I was passing a denominational church that takes up about two city blocks. Their facilities and, you know, their buildings, and that's wonderful for them. But I, when I saw, as, as I was passing again, you know, not that I didn't know about it, but as I was passing, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, how is it that churches that deny truth and deny 
the things, the power of God in a person's life can fare so well in our community. I mean, you know, here we are standing for the truth. We don't preach it if it don't come from the Word. And if it's in the Word, we conform to it. And, and, and you know, I think we're standing for something, right? We, you, we wouldn't have drove from wherever you drove today to be here today in this former bingo hall if this wasn't something we wanted, you know, that we knew it was scriptural and this, this is right. Because, I mean, you're honest people. I mean, you know, if this wasn't scriptural, you'd be gone. If we were off the word, I mean, you might stay a little while to try to help me get on track. Love me enough to help me get on track if I was off. But, but if I was off, you know, eventually you'd just say, well, I'm not, I'm not staying for that. You know, I mean, you know, you'd try to, I don't think you'd leave just first day. You'd pray for me, right? I mean, I have been you for all these years. And, uh, and I said, but Lord, how can a, and a, how can a church, a denomination, that's not preaching your truth and they don't stand for the power of God and the miracles and the healings and the signs and revival and what we know the scripture says about revival. How can they fare so well in our community? The answer he gave me shocked me because he answered me as quick, Reggie, as you would have if we were just sitting in the truck talking. He answered me just without missing a beat. I said, how can churches that deny the strength and the power of God and the miracles and the signs and wonders and the word and certain scriptures, how can they fare so well? He said, because they've spent over 200 years in this community developing a culture that supports them. I said, excuse me. He said, they've developed a culture that understands their lingo and understands their talk and understands what they mean and they support that. So if a person wants to become a Christian, if they understand that culture, they just go to that. Yes. They, just, they just migrate right into that. Wow. He said, your responsibility is to change the culture through every available voice. Yes. Amen. We, we were never affecting this community like we did when we were on TV on a regular basis. Now, I don't know that the local station is even the thing to go on. I'm not saying we need to be back on there. But the Lord began to say to me, That's, you've got to get a voice again. He said, the voice is what changes the culture. Give me give you a definition of culture. You might want to write this down because we use this phrase a lot. What is culture? Culture is just how you do life. You know, I said to you, I believe it was last Sunday, that we all have different cultures in the sense of depending on our family backgrounds and you know, how we grew up and how our families, grew, how our ancestors grew up a lot of times, it affects our culture. Yeah. And it's just, you know, things that were passed down. Let, let me give you an example that we used to say, and it's a true story, but it's funny to me, is that there was a young girl that had just gotten married in her 20s, and she got married, and she was cooking her first big home meal for her husband. They had, you know, been home a week or so from the honeymoon, but she was going to do a real big home-cooked meal. And so she pulled out her pan, and she cooked her roaster, whatever it was, and she got her big roast, and she put her roast up there that she had bought at the store, and she cut about a third of it off, put that away in the refrigerator for another time, and she put that two-thirds of the roast in the pan, and she cooked it and, and made the meal, and her husband came in, and he ate it, and it was good, and they had the leftovers the next day, and he said, honey, this is so great, can I have more? She said, I'm done. She said, well, he said, why was such a small roast? Oh, she said, I bought a big roast. But I cut this third of it off and put that in the refrigerator. Well, she said, you should have cooked. Why did you not cook at all? She, she said, what? He said, why didn't you cook all? And this is a true story. Why did you not cook all the roast? And she said, well, I don't know. That's the way my mother always did. My mother always cut a third of it off. I'll just call mama and ask her. And she called her mama and said, mama, why is it when you'd always cook that roast, why would you always cut a third of it off? And she said, well, we always do that. 
I know, Mama, you always do it, but why do you always do it? And she said, well, I don't know. My mama always did. Let me, call, let me call your grandmama and see why she did. And she calls the grandmother now. Three generations we're going back now. Said, Mama, why when you cook a roast did you always cut that third off? She said, well, honey, because the pan was too small. <laughs> and now you got a, the right size pan, but you're cutting off that because you're, you see, a culture. Now, it's the way you do life. It's the way you, the way you handle finances, the way you look at financial things, the way you look at problems in your life is from your culture. You know, how many times have you said, well, that's the same way my mama did it or my daddy's all, you know, like that. And, and it's just, that's called culture. It's things that you've learned from the generations or I grew up in a community, we did this or we did that. Well, the God culture then, the God culture is for you and I to begin to take the way God does life. He lays it out in the scripture for us. Take the way God does life and begin to bring that, not just in our family behind closed doors, but to begin to share his culture and the way he does life. When a person faces sickness, what's the normal culture? Run to the doctor. Yes, yeah, right? Or, or, or bear it out or say, well, it's just my age. Because that culture has been, that's the world's culture. But what's the God culture? The God culture is for us to say, look, you don't, don't, you're not, not trying to keep people away from doctors necessarily. But the idea is to say, well, look, you know, God can fix that. Well, how many of you have ever said something like that and it was kind of strange to the one you said it to? God can fix that. But we know that's common to me and you. Morgan, you and Jamie, when y'all started coming to church here, we're very small. How how, how old were y'all? Seven and about two. Well, I'm saying, you know, you grow up in it. And so knowing to run to God with your faith becomes culture when you grow up in it. Now, your mother might not have... Well, Angie, you said you went to churches. You didn't know. And Nita, you've talked about this. And there's grandmother, mama, and, and daughter and, and son. And so the culture started changing with Anita and uh, Angie. And so by the time they grew up into teenagers, they knew they could talk to God about things. Or if they, and, and don't be overwhelmed by a sickness. Even if a doctor said there's nothing you can do, don't be overwhelmed by that. God can still do something. Amen. Or you need finances, need a job, need something, just believe God. Trust God. He's got the plan for you. Yeah. You see that not everybody's dealing with that, but see, not everybody grew up with the culture that they grew up with. Well, our job is to change the culture in our homes first, then in, in our church, in our homes, in our jobs, around our families, around our group of contacts, you know, that we run into, our peers, we say. But we begin to bring that culture. And then we begin to change things where people think, see, what, what if all of Walker County, Northwest Alabama, for example, wherever you're from, what if all of Northwest Alabama thought God first? Well, that's not the culture, but it's God's culture. And so that's what we're trying to change. And we're a minority right now. But we've got something that'll sell door to door. Because if you ever taste it, you'll like it. Right? And that's what we've talked about for three weeks. So our job is to get people to taste the culture of heaven by a real experience. Not just what we tell them, but what we can demonstrate. See? I can lay hands on you and God will heal you. John Osteen was preaching like that one time and somebody said, well, what if God doesn't do it? What if you lay hands on somebody and doesn't do it? And he said, John Osteen said this. He said, you think God's going to let me down after I bragged on him like that? You got to have more confidence in God. You got to believe him. So let's look at some of this. How do we change this? Because we are dealing with a culture in our communities that are different. Now, why are we reaching to bring an encounter to the lost? I told you this last week and make sure you wrote these two things down. Your life is an extension to God's heart. Your life is an extension 
to God's heart. You're not bringing a message about God. You're bringing God because he lives in the message. And then I said this to you last week. Make sure you got this written down, please, and think, think about it. Your hands, because we're talking about reaching. Hands are involved in a reach most times, but your hands are an extension of heaven. If you lay hands on the sick, people get healed because heaven's in your hands. God is. You understand what I'm saying? So our job is to bring kingdom culture to our region. Why, Lord, do you have churches that deny the truth like that? How do they get by? Well, look, look at this scripture. You got Romans chapter 1, right? Did you get turned there? Turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, verse, I'll tell you what, verse a minute. Verse 18. And he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who do this. Underline this phrase, please. Who hold the truth in what? Unrighteousness. So they're holding the truth in unrighteousness. Look up on the screen and look at it in the Amplified Classic. Here's what people are doing with the truth. This is the culture you and I have got to change to really positively affect our communities. You understand what I'm saying? If we work in an environment, we cannot leave that environment without being affected by God if we were releasing the kingdom in our lives like we're supposed to. You say, well, I can't just stand on a soapbox and preach at my work. I'm not asking you to do that. God's not expecting you to do that unless they ask you to. Now, if, you, if your boss comes in there and says, hey, we give you 30 minutes to preach to all of us, you, you just say, <laughs> yeah, okay, here we go. No, but you don't do that without the permission of the boss. But just the joy of the Lord when everybody else doesn't have that gives you a calling card to the people that will follow you on the lunch break and say, I want to know what's going on with your life. You're different than the rest of us. You, there's got to be something different. What is it? It's the kingdom of God. It's the manifestation of heaven in our lives. Thank you. Amen. And so you start affecting that. But we can't leave that place of work environment or school environment untouched. You know, I, I told you about years ago, there was a letter about a man that had left, a Christian man that had left Georgia looking for work. This was years ago, back right after the Depression. And he went all the way up the East Coast looking for work. He left his wife and children in Georgia while he tried to find work. And he went all the way up to the, the New England states. I don't know. And he was working on it. Got a job on a dock, which was known as a pretty roughhouser type place to work among the docks and the fishermen up there and so on. The dock handlers and all. And, and he said that he wrote a letter after about two months back to his wife. I thought, now this, you've heard many of y'all have heard me say this before, but this was a true story. He wrote a letter back and he said, honey, I'm, I've got a job now. I'm working in the docks. And it's kind of rough up here, but so far, I don't think any of these guys I work with have found out that I'm a Christian. Now, what he was trying to do was to hide that idea. And this is an extreme example, but he was trying to hide that because he thought, well, they might ridicule me or persecute me or put me down or make fun of me or not like me because I'm a Christian. Well, see, you and I can't live that way. We've got something that's changed us. Now, I can understand being that way with religion because it didn't work for me anyway. I don't know if it worked for you. But if we've got something that's changed our lives, it's wrong for us to hold it. Susan used to say it like this. If I had the, a pill that was the cure for all cancer and hid it, I'd be wrong, wouldn't I? You know, it'd be wrong if, if you had the cure for cancer and hid that from the world that's suffering. I don't know how many people a year die from cancer. It's amazing. It's a, it's a self-induced disease. And, and, but if you could cure that, it's a horrible disease when you watch people die from it. But... If you could cure that with a pill and you had that, well, you've got the scripture that will change people's lives, just like it's changed yours. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And so we've got to begin to affect. I know that we're affecting and know that we're responsible to affect. And so here it says men are actually hiding. Look at that last phrase, hiding the truth. And actually in verse 18 of King James, it says they're holding the truth, 
holding on to it. See, holding on to the pill, the cure. In the Amplified Classic, look up on the screen, it says, men who in their wickedness repress and hinder truth and make it inoperative. They take the truth, they hinder it, repress it and hinder it. And Amplified says they make the truth inoperative. What does that remind you of? Well, where Jesus said you make the word of God of no effect, inoperative, by your tradition or by your traditional culture. See? In other words, your own way of thinking, your own culture that's been passed down, you've brought that in and you suppress the truth with it. Well, we don't believe that at our church. So we don't believe in miracles at our church. We don't believe in healing at our church. Well, you better get you another church. Because you're going to need a miracle and you're going to need healing. And God hasn't lost his healing power. Yeah, but my church, Brother James, my church taught me that healing passed away and miracles passed away with the apostles. Well, yeah, and they've been teaching that for about 250 years that their group has. And they've created a culture with it. And they believe that miracles are not for us today. And they make fun of you if you believe they are and you think you're nuts. But see, we're changing the culture that God is a present day gospel. See, Jesus, I mean, it happened in Jesus' day and to himself. I mean, it happened to him. He walked into his home church of Nazareth and said, The Spirit of the Lord's upon me. He's anointed me to preach deliverance to the captive, bring recovering of sight to the blind. And he began all the time about these miracles and setting liberty at the people that are bound. And he said, This day, not used to be, today this scripture is working in your midst. It's fulfilled. And they tried to throw him off the cliff head first. Now that's pretty bad when you're home church. That's some of your family members wanting you dead. Anybody ever come out of a church like that? They tried to throw him off the cliff head first because he brought in a new idea. That not only can we talk about this is what God used to do, this is what God's doing today. Present day gospel makes a lot of people nervous. But the culture, the normal culture is God don't do those things today that's passed away. You can't find one chapter and verse that says that healing and miracles passed away with the apostles. You can't find one chapter and verse. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the, 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 the apostles never said it. Neither did their wives, the epistles. They never brought it out. Well, I see y'all. Yeah, okay. It never was said. What happened? The traditions of men robbed healing from the lives of people. Look at this again. What did they do with truth? They repressed it. They hindered it. And they made it inoperative. The word of God of none effect. Another translation is NIV. It says people who suppress the truth. See, you know people like that? See, I'm showing you scriptures of what you and I have got to be right the opposite of. If they're suppressing the truth, we've got to make it known. We've got to let it out. In fact, now watch this. This is really good. These people deliberately smother the truth and they keep people from acknowledging the truth about God. And that's what's going on in a lot of churches. I'm not picking on them. I'm not calling any names. I'm just saying, but if they'd say, I don't, because it don't matter what group they're a part of. It can be a word of faith church if they're not in faith. You can get full of traditions in any group. You and I can be in the Word long enough till we develop our own traditions instead of the Word of God. So you have to stay scriptural. You have to keep that hunger and go back to that Word. So they deliberately, on purpose, Paul says, they smother the truth. I know. You, you know what? I heard a, a person say, now this was about the Catholic, because he was a Catholic. I'm not picking on him. I'm just telling you this is what this man said. This was a Catholic priest. And they grew up with certain traditions and certain ideas, traditions they taught in their Catholic doctrine. And there was a young girl that grew up in the Catholic church. She knew the Catholic doctrine, was trained in it, cataclysm, all that stuff, you know, that she was trained in. And uh, she went to college and at university. 
And she took a Hebrew and a Greek course while she was in college. And while she was in Greek, she found a scripture that said, because one of the Catholic doctrines was that Jesus did not have any brothers and sisters or any family, that the Virgin Mary never had children even after Jesus. She remained a virgin. That's what they said. That's in their Catholic doctrine. They said that Mary had no other children. Well, in the Greek study, she found out that in the book of Mark, Jesus did have brothers and sisters. Not before him, of course. Mary was a virgin. But after him, when, when Joseph and Mary came together, they had children after that. And they had made Jesus kind of like half-brothers. They had the same mother, but different daddy, you know. And when she found out that scripturally from the Bible, it was in the Greek Testament. She came home to her, to her Catholic priest and said, you know, y'all taught me all these years that Jesus, yeah, that's right, Mary didn't have you. said, well, right here it is in the Greek Bible. He looked at her like this. He said, I know it says that, but we're not going to change the Catholic doctrine to fit the Bible. Now, don't blame that on all Catholics. I'm just telling you what he said. We're not going to change Catholic doctrine just to fit the Bible. Well, that same idea is in the heart of a lot of people today. They're like, we're not going to change our Baptist. I'm not against them. I'm not picking them. I'm just saying we're not against our Baptist doctrine, Methodist doctrine. I came out of Methodist, you know, thank God. But anyway, not, but we came out. But we're not going to change that to fit. We've been, this is the way we believe. I had a good Baptist friend, good friend of mine, Baptist friend. He's in heaven now. And he was a pastor just down the road from where I pastored in Fayette County. And, and we were up on the hill under the water tower in our little building. And we were just having the truth preached every Sunday. We were having signs and wonders and miracles. And, and Brother Wayne was pastoring Southside Baptist in Fayette. And he was and they had two or three hundred people on Sunday morning. And, and he said, Brother James, he said, because we'd get new people to come to our church. And we said, we're so glad you come. How did you find out about us? This was back in the 80s. How did you find out about us? I said, well, we were going to Brother Wayne's church down there a time or two, and he sent us up here. said, we'd probably fit in better up here. <laughs> and, he and he was my good friend. He told me, Brother James, he said, he said you know, said they come down to our church, and they want to lift their hands in worship. And said, we don't do that. And he said, I, I, he said we should. Now, this was the pastor. He said, we should, but our tradition, we don't. And, and so they want to, and I don't want them to be stifled, he said. So I send them up to your church where I know they can be better off. He, he, in front of about 20 ministers one day, sitting in a group of 20 ministers, I'm sitting there, young, young minister, about 24 or 25 at that time, and Brother Wayne Futrell, he patted me, he slapped me on the leg like that in front of all these ministers and said, now he's a Baptist preacher. He said, big church, you know, big, next to first, first Baptist Southside. It was the second largest church in Fayette County. And he, he slapped me on the leg and he said, young, he said, men, now this was preachers from all kinds of backgrounds, Methodist, Baptist, Church of Christ. Well, Church of Christ didn't come, but um, there was Catholic priests there. And I mean, it just all of them, Church of God, Pentecostals, all kinds of groups sitting around there. And he slapped my leg in front of all them and said, guys, this boy, and he pointed at my chest like that. He said, this boy's got something that I, he said, I don't know exactly what it is, but I want it. He's talking about the Holy Ghost is what he's talking about. He said, I don't know how to get it. And then he died, died about 34 years of age. And I was about 24. He's just a wonderful man, but cancer. He didn't know how to, how to use his faith, you know. But he sent people up there because he knew it wouldn't work in their culture. Wow. These people would be stifled and, and thank God for him. Rather than see it stifled, he didn't know what to do, how to change the culture in that Baptist church. That culture had existed longer than he'd been pastor there. And so he sent them to where they could be free in the worship of God. Can you see that? And so that's what God's wanting to do is work some change in us today. Now, look at this scripture on the screen. Just jot it down if you want to. 2 Timothy 3, 5. I'm just showing you what we're up against and you and I have got to be right the opposite. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says these people, he's talking about in the last days. Now, if you read the whole chapter, starting with verse 1, he said, in the last days, perilous times are going to come and you're going to have some dealings with this, this, and this. And he gets down to this fifth verse. He said, one thing you're going to have a problem with is people will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof from such or people like that. Stay away from them. 
Now, do you know that's true? People, underline, I'm underline that for you. People that actually, they have a form of godliness. They look like church. They look like Christians, but they deny the power. Come to our church, but no, we don't believe in healings. We don't believe in miracles, see? Or God don't answer faith. You can't instigate something. See, what is it? They don't believe in the power of God. And so they're avoiding having a form of godliness, but denying the power of God. And Paul says what? Paul said, by the Spirit of God, from such, turn away. Well, look at it in another translation. This is the PTP, the Passion Translation. Now, I like this. I really want you to see this. The way he says something, we've got to get it. They may pretend to have a respect for God. Now, there's more people in northwest Alabama that fall under this category than me and you. I'm just saying the culture has got to change, and it's not going to be an easy task, but we've got to do it. They may pretend to have a respect of God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Now, I've run across a lot of people like that. They want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like these, Paul said. Isn't that powerful? Stay away from people like these. Well, so my question was when I said, Lord, why do churches deny the truth and the power fare so well? He said, you've got to change the culture because they've spent two centuries bringing that culture in. Our assignment is to bring a culture of faith, a culture of miracles, healings, blessing, talk about the blessing, and prosperity. Now, how many of you know we've got to redefine those words a lot of times for people? I've been saved and in the things of God for about 40 years, so... I remember a time when you didn't hear people respond, hey, how you doing? I'm blessed. People didn't respond that way. And so in the 80s, some of y'all remember this, in the 80s, we said, you know, the Bible says we're blessed with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And so we'd say, I'm going to go, when people ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to say I'm blessed. You remember when we started? Anybody remember that or when it was new to you? And we go around and we Christians, we word of faith people, man, we spirit feel blessed. That's where it started. We're the faith people that knew the blessing. We'd go around and say, hey, I'm blessed. We'd meet the person and say, hey, how you doing? I'm blessed. Good to see you. How are you today? Well, I'm blessed of God, man, blessed of God. Now, people say it in the grocery stores that don't know God. Yeah. Very true. Very yeah. true. How are you today? I'm blessed. Now, let me tell you, how do you know they don't know God? Let, let me tell you. Stop one of them. Now, some of them might. Thank God. I love to be corrected on this. Don't misunderstand me. But a lot of times people say, because they'll just, they'll just get through cussing this one guy that left, and they'll turn to you and say, hey, I'm blessed. Hey, you have a blessed day too. You, you want to shake them up? Ask them, say, because they don't know you. They don't know you're already in church or anything like that. Necessarily, maybe they're strange. They say, let me ask you a question. So you just told me you were blessed. What's that mean? Oh, that means I'm having a good day. Well, have you ever had a bad day? Oh, yeah. In fact, in fact, this morning started out a bad day. Does that mean you wasn't blessed then? Huh? Well, the blessing isn't up and down like that. What do you mean that blessing? Did you know that blessing is an empowerment to prosper directly from Jesus or from God through Jesus to us. So you're, you're a Jesus follower? Well, no, I, I don't really follow Jesus. Well, I mean, he's the only way the blessing can come. Now, I'm not trying to make people scold or feel bad, but I might make them aware. I'm just saying they, they, got, they talk about blessing. So if you say you're blessed, they think you're on the same level. And then they're doing the boot scooting boogie on Saturday night, but they're blessed. They don't know the blessing. But somewhere, I'm just saying, I'm not saying count them off or cut them off. I'm saying somewhere you and I have got to bring and change that culture. Mm-hmm. So the Lord, the Lord told me, because a lot of times, you, you know, when I'm witnessing to people I know over the years, I'd say something like this. So, well, because I say, well, when did that change? Because people offer you something, you know, uh, like, like a waitress will come out and say, uh, what, can I bring you all a drink? And I'll say, yeah, water. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we got free drinks tonight, you know, whatever it might be in a restaurant. And, and I said, no, I don't, I don't drink. Well, really, you don't drink because, you know, you're the only one in there. 
except Susan. I'm not going to pick on her this time. <laughs> just me and Susan, you know, maybe the only two not drinking. And I'll tell them, sometimes they'll say, well, let me just bring you a sample. And I'll say, ma'am, if I drank that, that'd be the first I've had in 40 years. Really? What you do? And I used to, I'd say, well, when I got saved, and you feel a wall go up, and it'll just turn people off. Because you use that word saved. Now, why is that? Because negative groups that hide the truth and deny the power of God, what have they got? Religion. They've captured that word saved. And this is what the average person thinks you mean when you say, I got saved. Now, this is the average person. They think that means you finally submitted your wicked lifestyle to church. So now you go to church and keep a bunch of laws. And basically, you don't have fun anymore in your life. You're a miserable person. And they think I'm one of those that don't know how to have fun anymore. And I'm just a religious person, and I scold and condemn everybody that does. Now, that's immediately what they think when you say, I got saved. So the Lord had me change it. So I said, why don't you drink? You hadn't drank in 40 years. What happened? You know? And say, so, well, I tell you what happened to me is I, I met Jesus personally. I had a personal encounter with Jesus. That's different than just saved. Nothing wrong with the word saved because you and I know what it means. And it's a Bible word. I'm not saying throw it away. I'm just saying the culture don't understand it. So I got to bring in something new that helps them understand. I didn't get religion 40 years ago. I ran into Jesus. Look, you, you, want, to, you want to shock a waitress that's trying to serve you a drink? And you say, well, what happened to me is I came in from a nightclub 40 years ago, about 1 o'clock in the morning. And when I came in, Jesus was sitting on my bed. <laughs> And he enc- I had an encounter with him. Yeah. And my life changed. Yeah. And you've, you've resisted drink for 40 years? Oh, honey, it hadn't been a problem. It has not been a problem. I didn't have to struggle. He took it away from me. And they're standing there thinking about their addiction. He just took it away from you? Yeah. He just took it away from me. Just an encounter with him. Wow. And then you can see, and you got their attention now. Because you're just, you're talking about something. You're not talking about religion. You're not talking about church. See, a lot of people think it's what they got to give up. Let me tell you what Dwight L. Moody. Now, Dwight L. Moody was a preacher a long time ago. He's still known today. He had Moody College in Chicago. I mean, you know, he's still got Moody College that he began. And uh, Bible Institute. And Moody Church still exists today. But he was a preacher and chaplain during the Civil War. And he got to preach on both sides, south and the north. And had converts and baptized soldiers, Confederate soldiers, northern. He just preaching the gospel. But anyway, in his day, there was a young girl came to him, and, or he was witnessing to her, talking to her, and he's talking about giving her life to Jesus, you know. And she said, "Oh no, I, I can't do that." And now this is the way most of the world is. I can't do that. Why? And for her same reason. He said, "Why can't you give your life to Jesus?" He said, "Because." He said, "She said, I can't give it up because I enjoy my drinking and my dancing too much. I just can't do that." He said, sweetheart, you don't have to give up your drinking and dancing. She said, what? Because all the other church people told her she did. He said, you don't have to give up your drinking and your dancing. She said, are you kidding me? He said, sweetheart, when you give your life to Jesus, you can do all the drinking and all the dancing you want to do. Now, she's not, not talking about church dancing. She's talking about, or ballroom dancing, but she's talking about in the, in the clubs, you know, the, whatever, the saloons in those days. She said, you mean I can all the drinking and all the saloon dancing you want to do, you can keep doing. Now, this is Dwight L. Moody. Some of y'all mad at him now. <laughs> she, she said, all right, then. I'll give my life to Jesus. And he prayed with her, and she gave her heart to Jesus. She found him a week later. She said, you tricked me. 
He said, tricked you? I did not. She said, oh, yes, you did. You knew I wouldn't want to drink and dance anymore after I got saved. Said, I've done. He said, I told you you could do all you want. You just don't want anymore. <laughs> now, if you do still want to do things that used to, you know, that connected you with the devil in his kingdom, then, then you need to check up on your relationship. But I'm talking about rescuing people out of those kind of things. And somehow to just, not when I got saved. Nothing wrong with that. Don't get mad at me if I said, and it offends you. But I'm just saying to reach people, just let them know. Say, well, when I met Jesus, when I, when I had an encounter with Jesus, and then begin telling your story. You say, well, I don't know how to witness. You've got your own testimony. That's all you need. Yes. Tell them what he did for you. Yeah. Tell them how you encountered him. Amen. When he became real to you. And see, it really helps a lot of times because people say, oh, you mean you got church? And I said, honey, I'd been in church all my life. I was still, I was going to church when I met Jesus. I'd been going 20 years before I met him. And then they're saying, oh, well, you're not just giving me that old tradition of get in church and be miserable. No, no, nothing about miserable. It's about joy, unspeakable and full of glory. It's like, like doing real life because God really knows how to do life. And if we get him in our life, he'll show us how. Y'all getting anything out of this? I, I know I've got a question. So that was my question. And that's how God began to answer that. Not just go to church and give tithe and don't have fun, that kind of thing. But how God's really changing you and start telling the testimonies of what God did for you. Our job is to bring that good news. Now, I got to show you one thing before we go. One, one, just a couple of things real fast because I want to get you to Matthew 5. But look right quick on the screen because of time. Look at Romans 10, 15. This scripture is talking about when we preach. Now, we read this actual several verses in this. Verse 7, see, this is the 15th verse. Skip down two verses in your mind. Verse 17 is where it says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? And before that, it says, how can they preach except they be sent? You know, and God's got to send us. And this is about us sharing good news with people, reaching people with the good news of what God's done. And he says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. See, I'm bringing a message that that waitress that I'm witnessing to, she can have, and don't just say peace. She don't know what peace means. That you can have it right between you and God. That's what peace is. See, she's thinking, I'm using her as an example, she might be thinking that God doesn't want her because of her lifestyle, because of the things she's done in her life, or him or whoever you're witnessing to. But see, if you, if you start preaching good news, and the good news is God's not mad at you. God's not holding sin against you. We're, we're there to proclaim forgiveness. God's already done everything about your sin. I grew up, and most of you did probably, most of your older ones anyway, my age and and around, you grew up in an environment where you were taught that Jesus went to the cross because of your sin. He went to the cross because of your sin. Now, He did, but that's not the main reason He went. He went to the cross because of your potential. You see, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 that God, through Jesus, became a man. Now, that's got to be big. God became a man. Jesus became flesh, became human, one translation says. Now, don't you understand that God, through any son Jesus, had to think a lot about becoming a man, what potential man could reach with God inside of him? So God came on to begin to reveal potential. So Jesus didn't come to the cross because of my sin. My sin certainly was a thing in the way of me getting it, but he came because of my potential. See, we say, our tradition, I'm trying to change culture. Is anybody following? We're trying to change culture here. See, we say Jesus died because I was a sinner. That's not 100% wrong. I'm not trying to throw it away completely. I'm trying to change culture in our thinking. He didn't die because I was a sinner. He died because I was one of his that was lost. He came to regain me. See? 
You understand? He was after me. So he became a human to reach human potential so that he could show me what potential was if I'd get God back in me. Now, I couldn't get God back in me with my sin, so he had to go to the cross to shed his blood so the sins could be cleansed so I could, I could reach my, my potential and my calling. I'm going to say that one more time. I want you to just get it. The sin, the, the cross wasn't to get rid of my sin. The cross was to bring me back to my potential. Getting rid of the sin was in the process of that. Amen. That, had, that was a process that had to take place. Wow. It's not wrong to talk about that. That's a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. It's good to wake up and know that God's not holding my sin against me. Yes. Yes. But the idea is to realize that God's looking for you. This is... It, it's, it, if you start, you know, I'm talking to my, who I'm witnessing to. If you start thinking about coming to God today, it doesn't shock God. He was after you 2,000 years ago. Amen. He, he thought about you when he hung on that cross. Amen. Let, let me show you. Let me show you this. So how beautiful, let's finish this scripture. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach peace, the good news of peace. There's peace between you and God. Jesus has already fixed it. And we bring glad tidings or good news of good things. That's what the gospel is. But don't just quote that scripture. Bring the good news to them. God delivered me. Listen, most of the, you know, you know when I talk about us coming in from a nightclub at the age of 20, coming in from the night, nightclub about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning when Jesus was sitting on my bed when I walked into my bedroom that night and that was my encounter. That's when I got saved. Coming in and they, well, doing that. See, but what people need to realize all those people I was in the nightclub with, 80% of those are dead. They were dead, most of them, before they were 30. God rescued me that night from a life of death or destruction. Not all of them died young. One of them just died just a few weeks ago. And, and you know what he was doing? Same thing we were doing 40 years ago. And his life was destroyed. God saved me from that. And he wants to keep you from that. That's what you're witnessing to people. You tell them he wants to rescue you from those things. He loves you. He's, he's got delivering power. Uh, it won't be uh, coming off the drug addiction hard. He'll just liberate you. Freedom. It's not getting free of the drugs on your power, on your strength. It's on His strength. He'll do it for you. That's good news to people. And see where it says how beautiful are the feet of the ones that do that? That means people will accept you when you got peace and good news. If you're bringing them religion, not everybody will be glad you came. Every time I read this scripture, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. How beautiful are their feet of the people. That, you're that way, Joel. You was talking at your birthday celebration at your home. You were talking about how that so many people in your life did things in your life. Well, their, their feet are beautiful to you because they brought good news or they brought the baptism of the Holy Ghost or word of faith to you. And I never read that scripture, how beautiful are the feet of people. It's, Brother Copeland's feet will always be beautiful in my home. Amen. Because what he, he, he was on the TV the night I gave my life to the Lord. See? And so my children respect him and his ministry and love him. And I believe their children will all the days of life. Let me, let me tell you about, every time I read this scripture, and I've debated all, because it keeps coming up every time I look at it, I've debated like, have I got time to tell you this? It's just beautiful to me. How beautiful are the feet of them? Marilyn Hickey's feet will always be beautiful in my house because of things she put in me in 1980. Jerry Savelle's feet. You understand what I'm saying? So your feet will be beautiful to the one you witness to. The person you share your faith with and what God's done for you. And, and they'll be acceptable. What comes up in my mind was that at World War II, there were several prisoners of war in a Japanese prison camp. And they were, they were in the country of Japan. And they were in a prison camp down in a, in a holding place in the city, lower level. And they had a little window that they could see the sidewalk just like that. 
And they said the propaganda that was coming to us, now this was toward the end of the, when, when, the, when uh, the bombing, what was that, 41? The bombing of Pearl Harbor? Yeah. Okay, 41. All right, so it was during that time, and Japan was holding them. And Japan was given, you know, the, the Japanese soldiers were giving them propaganda all the time. America's been destroyed. We've destroyed your capital. It's no longer a country. You're destroyed. You're our prisoner. You know, and, and we were hearing that, which meant our families were dead. Our homes were destroyed. Our government was gone. Nobody's coming after us. And that's what they were telling them every day, every day, every day. And so the only view to the outside world we had was a little window like that that was sidewalk level. You could just barely see the sidewalk of people, bottom of people's feet. And so we'd heard that, and you can imagine the grief they'd went through for months and months of that propaganda. Our families are dead. Our government's destroyed. Nobody's coming after us. We're going to die in this uh, tortured prison cell. And said, one day, we heard marching, which we heard quite often because of the Japanese soldiers. And we looked out, Jack. <laughs> he, said, he said, we saw GI boots marching. Oh, how beautiful are the feet. Of GI boots, government-issued, American government-issued boots. We recognized those weren't German boots. Those were American soldier boots. And said, we knew how beautiful were the feet, they said, of those that were coming to bring us good news of liberation. And that's the way you are. You're accepted when you preach the gospel to people. You think you won't be, and the devil tries to tell you won't be, so you're afraid to mention your faith to people. I might not be accepted. But God says your message of good news will be accepted. How beautiful are the feet. Now, last scripture i got to show you because this is big. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Or no, look on the screen. I just, you just write it down because time I've got it here. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says for us to do this. Now, when you write down the reference, I want you to look up here on the screen with me. He says, let your light so shine before men. Let your light, in other words, what God has done for you, the, the, the Jesus in you. That's the light in you, right? Yes. The light, he said, let the light in you, the God in you. Let it shine before people. Let them see it. Don't cover it up with a bushel basket, you know, all that stuff. You open your mouth and tell them what God's done and show them and pray for them. Let them see the power. He says, let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and they'll glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Now, this is what came alive in me last night when I was studying, is that if we open up and let the light shine, that's telling, that's talking, that's witnessing, that's giving, that's, that's reaching, right? If I begin to reach enough and get this thing started where I share something about Jesus, don't keep him just, you know what I'm saying, don't you? Don't keep Jesus just where he shows up in church on Sunday morning and then we put him back in our pocket till next Sunday. But let him live on the outside. Be generous with our life, one translation says. Be open with your life. This is a big deal. If I'm open with my life to let people see Jesus and not afraid to talk about him and not afraid to show him or demonstrate him or let him minister to them the same way he ministered to me, then they, now watch what will happen. The guarantee is they, I'm closing here, you better make it a good finish. They will glorify the Father which is in heaven. Well, I think I know what that glorify God means. They'll start respecting him and honoring him. But look at this. In the message translation, it says this. Keep open house. Don't hide God in. Keep open house with your life. Be generous with your lives. That means open up, tell what God's done. By opening, now this is big. I wish I'd underlined it for you. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. The minute went over. If I open up to other people what God's done for me, they'll open up their lives to God. It'll prompt them. See those words? It'll prompt them. The word prompt means it'll start them opening up their life to God. This generous God, this Father in heaven that we have. Here's a scripture, and i got to close with this one and just another translation. With this is Psalm 62, 8. It says, trust in Him. This is what I'm sharing with you. Here's a good scripture to share with people. 
This is what I give it to you for. I hope you take notes on this because there's, a, there's eight, eight and a half, I, no, excuse me, what are we, nearly eight billion people today, seven and three quarter billion people on this planet. Do you know that's nearly doubled in our lifetime? I guess it has. I can remember when it was three and uh, four billion, I think, four billion when I was a little boy, three and a half billion or something. This, this world is growing at an astronomical rate. We've got to learn to get these scriptures to people because there's people dying without God. I didn't bring statistics to you today, give you all that, but how many people die a day? How many of those people die that you have contact with that you could just give one life hope to, one little strength? Look at this. Here's a scripture I thought was so powerful. Lord directed me to this one last night to give you. Psalm 62, 8, it says, and you think about telling this to people, now telling it to hurting people. You know what to do, but they don't. Look at this. Trust in God at all times. You people that I'm witnessing to, pour out your heart before him or tell him your problems, in other words. God is a refuge to us. Salah means stop and think seriously about that. Stop and really give some time to that. Let's put this in a modern way of witnessing and loving on people. How can we say this? Well, watch this translation in the Passion Translation. Tell him, this is what you're telling to the person you're witnessing to, the person you're working with. You tell God all your troubles. You got a lot of troubles in life. I know you do. You may be a single mom. You could tell them you're a single mom. You're struggling to get ahead. See, that's, that's when we talk about the reach. That's one of the first things you got to do is look for ways to help people. Yes. If you're going to reach, just look for the, look for the single mom with a baby on her hip at Walmart trying to put her groceries in the car and say, "Ma'am, can I help you do that?" See. Oh, and you women can go up and say, oh, I know a lot of you can. I mean, mamas can say, I know what it's like to be out here with the children, you know, trying to do this. Let me help you get those in the car. Oh, and, and how you say, well, Brother James, how can that be a witness? Well, you can say something if you want to. They'll say, thank you for helping me. Oh, say, honey, God's helped me so much. I sure can help somebody. What? Oh, he, you know, I found out. You could say, I found out. God will help you out of any trouble. What are you doing? You're prompting them to open up with God. Honey, you ain't never been through anything big enough. God can't get through. I've met him. I've had an encounter with him. And she's like, you mean he could, she may not say it right off, but she's thinking, you mean God could help me with this this husband abuse, this child, whatever's going on in my home, this addiction I've got, this problem I've got, this struggling financially, God could help us with it. And you say, yeah. And and you say as much as, sorry, Reggie, I get to spitting when I'm preaching good. I really go to spitting. (laughs) But you say, you know, you say as much as she'll let you say. I mean, she may say, can you talk to me? And she may not, but you can, that's where the card comes in. Because yeah, yeah. this QR, you can, and, and if my pastor preaches too fast, you put him on half speed. <laughs> and he'll really tell you how much Jesus loves you. <laughs> All right. Watch this. Tell him all you heard. You tell people this. Here's, here's the scripture. See, so you can go back to it. You can say, here's Psalm 62, 8. Get it to him out of the past. And say, look, honey, you can tell God all your troubles. And you pour out your whole heart longings to him. And believe me when I tell you, he will help you, David said. And that you're a witness to that scripture. Your life is a witness to it. And I hope you got something out of that today. But reach out to people. Love people enough to take time. But look for ways to help them. Look for ways. One thing I look for in the grocery stores, I hadn't always been able to do this, but now that I am, I I really look for it. I look for the person in front of me that's having to put something back because they don't have the money to pay. Now, uh, I don't buy their cigarettes and their beer. You know, but if I saw somebody getting food, I love to do that. And just love to do it for a stranger. And and you do something big enough for them, then you you can leave that card without argument. 
and help them. 